This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. For the first time in many years, the Democratic Party candidates for president are placing issues and identity at the forefront of their campaigns. A black man and a woman are both viable candidates. A populist from the South and a progressive from Cleveland are propelling the party from the center to a more liberal platform. A vice president is a Nobel Prize winner. With us today is Richard Goldstein, contributor to a new book entitled The Contenders. It's an inside track on the 2008 Democratic presidential candidates. Goldstein, who writes about the connections between pop culture, politics, and sexuality for the nation, is also the author of Homocons, The Rise of the Gay Right. Richard Goldstein, welcome to Weekly Signals. Good to be here. How are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm... I'm, uh Stumbling around the studio right now. Yeah. 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 How how is it in uh, New York today? Uh, it, you know, seasonable for a change. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> it looks like the uh, the summer that lasted into November has finally left us. Oh, that's good. That's I call good. this the Al Gore summer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's endless. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing like having an eighty degree temperature with autumn leaves. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The season of Gore. Yes. Yeah. So. Last time we had you on, which was in late September, we talked about Barack Obama. How do you think Barack has, has fared in the last month or so? Is, has he uh, gotten stronger or Yeah, not? it looks like he's experiencing um, uh, about a 6% uptake in the polls. Right. That is, he somewhat closed the gap between Hillary Clinton and himself. And, uh, and, he's, uh, and it's not a major uh, shift, but it's, uh, it's noticeable statistically, and it's been reported as such. And, um, you know, it makes a nice story to have a, a Chiron or something that says Obama makes a comeback. Um, but but is, that be- is that because of the things he's been doing, or is, it, is there another factor? Well, I mean, I think that the pileup on, on Hillary Clinton has uh, benefited him and that he's been part of it, um, and the campaign has made some attempts to be more aggressive in attacking her as has Edwards, but he, I think he's been the major beneficiary of it. Now, he is the sort of alter, alter Hillary. Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, uh, uh, you know, Edwards uh, has many virtues as a candidate, but popularity is not one of them. And I want to ask you that because I recently uh, saw John Edwards speak, uh, and um, he, I, as I said to my colleague here, he said everything as a progressive. He said everything I wanted to hear, and he said it forcefully. He said it with uh, some good ideas, uh, sort of different takes on some of these issues. Um, and he was by far and away the best-sounding progressive candidate in the field, and um, yet he hasn't seemed to be benefiting from, from, from this. His Is it really all about his looks? <laughs> Is it is that part of it? Is it he's too pretty? <laughs> no, I don't think it's that. Um, mm. I think it's. I think it has to do with the actual appeal of what he's saying. Yeah. Um, I think what's most interesting is that um, among young people, Obama is far and away the most popular candidate. Yeah. And you'd think that Edwards would be yeah. um, from the experience, say, of my generation in the '60s. 
but uh, it's not true. So I think the message, the message he's giving, which is class-based, um, has limited appeal right now. Mm-hmm. And that's simply the fact about Edwards. When you look at his, at his showing, you see the limits of the traditional progressive agenda. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be aware of that. I mean, um, uh, if, if this, in fact, is the case, um, then we have to look at uh, agendas that actually are popular now and see which of them uh, is, is the most progressive. And, and I think that's the question we're all going to have to ask ourselves yeah. ultimately. Well, well, I'll ask you it right now. I, if, if, if you were uh, Edward's campaign manager, would you tell him to shift the focus? And what would you tell him to do? Leave the race. Yeah, really. Before spending very much more money, really. But we'll see what happens in Iowa, where he's probably doing as well as he is in any other state. Mm-hmm. If Edwards wins Iowa, uh, and media attention shifts onto him, yeah. and, and part of the problem has been that the media isn't paying much attention. Right. He can't and, get arrested as a candidate right now. That's right. I mean, and, and you know, you'd think that the breast cancer narrative would have caused a, a, a real uh, flurry of attention, and it did, but it, but it didn't last very long. It's less of a story than an abused blonde girl right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, though, about this, because this class warfare uh, mm-hmm. the attack that he has been uh, emphasizing. Right. It's not it, really warfare. No, I'm I mean, sorry. It's just I class interest. Yeah, class interest. You're right. Yeah. And, I, and I, I was, I'm guilty of framing it. And I'm, the question I'm going to ask you is, have we been inoculated on this issue in terms of the, 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 the conservatives, the Republicans, for years and years and years, have been beating on this issue as saying, by saying, well, there you go, another class warfare you know, argument, when in fact there's so much merit to the things that are being said. But I feel like we've been sort of uh, inoculated to think that this, to dismiss this as an issue. Yes, I think it's true. I think that's why when you look at the votes of young people, you see that the issue doesn't really have a lot of appeal because we've been um, in a society in which individual advancement or the possibility of individual advancement has become, um, you know, a sort of um, a sort of embedded value, and and this is especially true among young people, and this is something we have to live with. We have to figure out how it is possible uh, to lift the fortunes uh, of working working people um, without. Um, uh, without withdrawing, to, without with resorting to an agenda that's a losing agenda. Right, but we what we have heard over and over. We've had uh, multiple guests on the show to talk about that this mobility, this upward mobility that has become sort of a religion within mm-hmm. the United States, mm-hmm. is in fact disappearing right before our eyes. That's right. Even as it's disappearing, though, it's still very embedded in the consciousness, and people still feel that they have a shot at it. Uh, if they uh, if, if they just know how to play the odds, and I think what people people are open to the message that the odds ought to be stacked more in their favor, uh, that they shouldn't have to be spending their assets on health insurance and things like that. But the idea that there's a sort of systematic approach to this, and that one actually has to think about classes as classes as such, you know, yeah. rather than thinking about class as something that doesn't exist, and that there's a complete environment of fluidity in the country. Um, that that idea, which which uh, Edwards taps into in a very very articulate way, is not a popular idea right now. So let's say he wins Iowa, and the yeah. focus does uh, does 
yeah. turn towards him. Do you think, at, at, with that, that, that as you put it, the younger people would some in some way buy into what he has to say, or do you think he's just a losing proposition from from the get go? I mean, I think it's too soon to say. Yeah. You know, um, I think the idea that he's the most electable candidate because he's a white male yeah. is repugnant. Yeah, I know. I exactly agree with that. And 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 this is an idea that his campaign has allowed to float out there. It's the most unsavory thing about his campaign, yeah. and I think many people, when that idea comes up, would be turned off. Well, and I was my my take on it, having done having been in politics for a little while is my my advice to Edwards is just wait because you have the Hillary fatigue, which the Republicans are going to beat us to death with mm-hmm. Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. It's you you can see it now, and imagine, and I can't, and I'm thinking the American public is going to say, I can't take four years of this. And then, and then on the other hand, Barack is just not demonstrated much of a backbone to this point. He hasn't shown a fire that really would, to me, would would excite uh, the the people that would be inclined to vote for him. I mean, I think that he has shown more aggression. Yeah, uh, he's certainly capable of it. Um, but I think the campaign has proven to be somewhat inept. Yeah. Uh, so ineptitude is really the problem. I think that the. Uh, situation with the, uh, uh, the the black gospel singer who gave a homophobic uh, speech at at the Ob- at an Obama rally recently this guy Donnie McClurkin yeah um, shows how inept the campaign can be here they set out to do something called bridge building between the black community and the gay community and they end up with a guy preaching the conversion of homosexuals at a political rally right. which is wildly inappropriate yeah and you know, not being able to handle that, um, and then trying to uh, make it work by issuing a letter saying, "No, these ideas are prevalent in the black community," which there really isn't any statistical support for, um, because they're prevalent. Gay leaders have to sit down with these people, uh, and then Obama is somehow going to be the Art Garfunkel of this, thinking mm-hmm. bridge <laughs> over troubled waters. Um, that, that, that this is this is really not you know this this is just just not a way to run a campaign. I mean, I just use that as a kind of example of yeah. how the campaign doesn't seem very agile. Does it, does it feed into the narrative that, in fact, he's not ready to be president, which is what the Republicans are, have been saying about him? I think that what a lot of Democrats think is that the candidate they put forward has to be profoundly adept in order to overcome the uh, evident skills uh, of the Republican Party, especially when it comes to manipulating the psychological issues of the American people. That, uh, the, uh, that the Democratic contender has to be able to deal with all of that. Yeah. And that's where Obama looks somewhat deficient. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, very, you know, he's very adept as a candidate. He's very, he can be very aggressive, uh, and he has a lot of backbone. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's that question of can he stand up to the entire Republican psychic machine right. that has enabled them to win elections for the last uh, 20-odd years. Yeah. In other words, the whole you know, stoking of fear and sadism in the population, it's yeah. both. It's, it's you know, terror uh, of, of, uh, of destruction and also sadism by being able to take it out on groups of people. And a Democrat, you know, can't really use sadism. It's not a liberal value, uh, and and they can't, and they don't really use fear. They they want people to vote from their from their hopes and aspirations, 
So these two techniques are really denied to a Democratic candidate. And somehow the candidate has to come up with, with uh, psychological values that counter those things. And I think that the candidate that, who seems most likely to do that, to sort of, you know, take the blows and come back with, with, with uh, weapons of, of, of uh, her own is probably Hillary Clinton at yeah. this point. However, in the general, Obama makes a very attractive presence, especially when it comes to dealing with people like Rudy Giuliani. I mean, he, the contrast between Obama and Giuliani is really, really significant and striking. And I think that that would be a, a, a remarkable race in American life, more remarkable than the race between Giuliani and, and Hillary Clinton. Mm. We're speaking with Richard Goldstein, and the book is The Contenders, to look at the uh, different Democratic presidential candidates. Now, what is your take on Hillary? How, how would you rate, on a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> like or dislike, where would you yeah. place her? Uh, I, I like her. Yeah. Uh, I have the usual reservations about her. Um, I don't think that either Clinton or Obama represent the, the progressive vision, but I think they are, they are capable of producing incremental change for the better. And at this point, I think incremental change is a really good thing. Um, so I would, I would be glad to support either of them. Um, I, would, I would also throw in there, they, they have the capability to stop the hemorrhaging within America. In yeah, terms it's part of, of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, stopping the loss and producing a small gain in justice um, is 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 a good thing, and it's something that we we really and is worth. It's something that's really worth struggling for. I mean, we're not going to have a progressive president. It just isn't going to happen. What we can have, though, is a liberal president, um, a, a president who veers toward the liberal end, but who uh, with with always with an eye on the center. And who can uh, who can who can actually create a matrix for a more progressive politics, and that's what I'm hoping for in this election. Well, well can I can I be contrarian a little bit here and say Please. that I, I feel like with Bill, and I, I mean I know they're different people. I know they have a different outlook on things, but Bill Clinton strangled the progressive community within the Democrat. He, he certainly cut it off in terms of its access to a lot of the power within the within the party itself and therefore really cut off a lot of opportunities for progressive candidates themselves yes that's true and and i just fear that we would be heading into a dlc light kind of administration and i but then having said that i agree with what you said earlier which is it's what we have it is a whole lot better than what we have now yes it is it's a real improvement um I mean, I think that, you know, I think Bill Clinton did that. I think he also, uh, for instance, in his tax policies, really did benefit uh, the lower end of the economic order. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think it's important to, to understand that the impact of Clinton, in terms of our agenda, was somewhat positive. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, suppressing the left and actually producing some results that yeah. we would consider good results, I think that's worth it. Yeah. We will always be there. And we will, and we will, and we will be able to move at the proper moment um, when the when the moment is right for a more progressive agenda. It will emerge. Yeah. It's not as if we've been put in jail um, yeah. or dragged through the streets or we've lost our tenure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and and those are dangers, by the way. If you actually follow the Republican agenda, I think Rudy Giuliani is capable of the most authoritarian measures we've ever seen in this country. Yeah. I mean, and that's uh, such a clear and present danger that you have to conclude that the 
putting the strongest Democrat up against him is really a good thing to do. The yeah. question is, who is the strongest Democrat? I'm not entirely convinced Hillary Clinton is, because as I said, in the general, Obama has virtues that she does not. Yeah. Well, I, I come back to having, we all went through the, the period from, uh, well, the Bill Clinton administration, but certainly the last three or four years of it, in which this insane um, Republican kamikaze attack on his administration and really on the Constitution began. Uh, and um, that they were going to impeach him over the most inane kind of uh, issues and the constant barrage of uh, phony um, scandals. Right. And I, I see... Or I see this election cycle being just more of that. They're trying to, mm-hmm. this whole Woodstock Museum thing and all the... It, well, that's it, right. That's what they've been doing ever since uh, they decided uh, to take the Nixonian Southern strategy yeah. and apply it to issues of sex and gender. Do, do you think the American people are will fatigue on that before they fatigue on listening to the things about Hillary? Do you think there's, a, there's that... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I think that's one of the things this election will test. Yeah. Um, I think the American people have an infinite capacity for terror and sadism. Yeah. If you look at television right now, you'll see that between terror and sadism, you have television. Right. And you have reality shows when it comes to sadism. Right. Um, uh, uh, you know, with the, with the judges mocking the contestants. Right. Uh, and then you have terror shows uh, in, in the policiers, like Law and Order, where the system is under constant threat, and the perp uh, does you the favor of confessing at the end. Right. Um, so, you, you know, these are modalities that are dominant in television now, and they suggest that these modalities are present psychologically and still uh, are, are amply uh, able to be exercised by whatever party chooses to do so. And you know that the Republican Party does that. That's their M.O. Mm-hmm. We really haven't found a liberal M.O. that can stand up to that yet. I, I used to think that the answer for us was pleasure. Yeah. That is, in almost a Dionysian sense, yeah. that we propose pleasure as a counterweight to terror and sadism. Um, and uh, I don't know whether that's possible right now. I don't think either candidate can do that, although Obama, in a very subtle way, comes close. That is, when you see him, you feel a kind of pleasure yeah. um, that uh, does represent our agenda. That is, that is the traditional way that liberals, at least since the 60s, have come to power. Yeah. So we shall see. His candidacy in and of itself is a representation of a, of a sea change in the way that we see candidates and the way that we are able to put forward uh, legitimate candidates for for uh, for high office. And yeah, you know, I think he has a, gr- a much greater capacity yeah. to cross over and draw fundamentalist voters than Hillary Clinton does, and that's why the Donnie McCulkin thing was something he chose to do. That is, it's an indicator that he he will he will be able to talk to uh, and relate to fundamentalists, mm-hmm. whether it's in the black community or or not, and I think he does have that capacity. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that's something to really think about in the general election when you're voting in the primary. Who has the capacity to reach across these lines? And part of the reason he has that capacity is his racial presentation. Yeah. So those are things that, um, that really matter and, and um, really have to be thought about. You have to look under the surface to see who, who can tap into the pleasure and hope instincts 
of the American people, which are there, but very muted under this agenda of sadism and terror. We're speaking with Richard Goldstein, and the book is The Contenders. Do you think there's a possibility of uh, a Hillary-Obama ticket? No. And the reason I say this is because the hostility between them is evident. Is it now? Okay. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I, look, I, one should never say no. I mean, look at the Kennedy-Johnson ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's, uh, yeah. you know, but, but I, but I uh, gosh, I certainly think Hillary would, would be able to elude assassination if she had a black vice president. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really good life. No, no, it's, Ouch. Yeah. Well, that, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I, we're, we're saying something that I think uh, we have to acknowledge is that both of these, I don't, I don't know how this is going to come out, but both of them are likely targets of, of uh, violence. Uh, More yeah. likely. Yeah, well, well, right. I think because, and, and I, think, I think, you know, Obama more than Clinton. The reason I say that is because he evokes the feeling of ecstasy. Yeah that uh, I'm talking about, this kind of, when I say pleasure, I really mean ecstasy. Yeah. That is, when you see him, there's a touch of ecstasy in the air. And, you know, it's a mysterious thing because it relates to the, to the nation's entire history vis-a-vis -vis race. Yeah. And that's why his charismatic quality, based on that kind of mythography about race, makes him um, subject to assassination. Yeah. So I think there's a reason why he was the first candidate to get Secret Service protection except for Hillary, who had it by virtue of her status as former first lady. Right. So, uh, you know, that's, yeah, those are the people who are subject to assassination, charismatic leaders. Yeah. Well, when, uh, before we wrap this up, um, I want to real quick shift gears a little bit and ask you of the Republicans who you think is the most likely to be nominated. Yeah, I still don't believe that Giuliani is going to get the nomination. Nor do I. Um, yeah. But I, and I, I, I tend to think it's going to be Romney. Yeah. Uh, I cannot believe that, that the synomulist like Fred Thompson is actually going to you know, be the nominee. No. But it's possible. Uh. It's possible. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I mean, even though the popular, you know, the polls are all showing Giuliani, if that happened, I think the alienation of the fundamentalists would be significant. And with Romney, you have the Mormon issue. But I don't think it cuts as deeply as the sheer craziness of Giuliani. Yeah. I mean, to go up there and do a, a, a minstrel show imitation of Hillary Clinton, which he did a few days ago, um, it's creepy. It's profoundly creepy. Yeah, yeah. there is a kind of a Caligula kind of a thing with him, and I don't exactly know how that uh, there's... Or, uh, or Nero or something. There's something <laughs> Nero-ish about this guy that... Uh, right, his hairline. I know, he looks like he should be in a vampire movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I've, yeah, I've referred to him in those terms, too. Yeah, Nosferatu, you know, the right. candidate from... Yeah, yeah I think we just framed him. Look for him to him rising out of the grave like that. Yeah, yeah I think that that's... I think his cre the creepiness of him is finally going to limit him. Yeah, do you, do you see all the air out of McCain's balloon? Does he have any shot... No, you know, you never know. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> it's possible, I guess. But again, he doesn't. He's not a darling of the right either. But you look at his credentials and his views. He is most right. aligned with most Republican primary voters. I know, I know. But it's not about credentials. Yeah. It's about aura. Yeah. Um, I mean, the aura and the credentials have to have to match. 
on one level, I'm hoping they they nominate Romney because he is the most he is the most craven of all the, of all the candidates in uh-huh. the sense that he'll do anything to be president. But on the other hand, he's good looking and he has a decent he's a good public speaker. And, and yes, and he has a, an impressive business background. Yeah, that, something that you yeah. know in the Republican ranks outside yeah. the fundamentalists, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and then there's the Massachusetts credential, which right. either shows that he's capable of anything or shows that he can tolerate a liberal state. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I think he has many virtues. Um, you know, I but I, uh, I I don't I still think that there are limits based on his religion, which is very unfortunate, of course. Yeah. I mean, really, really terrible. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. When you really get into the Mormon issue. Uh, and the question of the role of the Mormon Church and all of that, um, the secret rituals and what have you, um, this is something that many Americans are going to find creepy. Yeah. But I could be wrong about that. I think, you know, perhaps the um, all the shows on polygamy have actually demystified <laughs> well, some of that well, and, and made it seem like just another kink. And, and, the, and the capacity for the American people to accept cultish-like religious practice has certainly been expanding over the, the last many years. So. Yeah, I mean, but the fact is, you know, if you really present the Mormon agenda, it's one of intense discrimination yeah, well, and, that's and another suffering. And, yeah. and, you know, it's really, actually, the story is really worth telling. Um, yeah. If it didn't evoke all of these other feelings, it probably would be told. Yeah. But, but, you know, there's absolutely no reason, of course, why a Mormon couldn't be president. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Richard Goldstein, I want to thank you very much for being here on Weekly Signals. The book is The Contenders. And uh, it, do you have anything coming up uh, as far as... Uh, only my genius. Only as, your genius. Dr. Wilde once said when he was asked <laughs> to declare something at customs. <laughs> well, very good. Well, very good. As witnessed by today. Yes. yes. All right. Well, <laughs> absolutely. thank you so much for being here on Weekly Signals. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals. Weekly Signals.